they're played out um, well. Um, it is a beautiful picture and, and a thing that sometimes in our culture is pushed back against. But I think as we see it, we see the beauty on both ends and God's grace and mercy in it um, as we look. Now, in First Peter, we have this theme of hope that is throughout. And even in here, we see hope. And at the center of this hope is, is Christ. And at the center of our lives and our relationship is Christ. And as we get to look at this relationship of a husband and wife, Again, just being reminded of in First Peter so far how we've seen Christ be the center of our lives and our relationship. Um, so that would be it's our, our first, first point today. Jesus is central in all our lives and our relationships. And just to review, even if you have your Bible, you can just kind of skim through with me as we look at some of these. First Peter 1, we see Peter just begins and he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one who was sent out by Christ, a messenger of Christ. And verses 1 through 2, then we see that we're, we're chosen, we're sanctified to obey, obey Christ. And we're sprinkled with his blood, we're, we're made clean and forgiven by Christ. Verse 3, we see that we're born again, this is in chapter 1, born again to a living hope. A living hope in the resurrection through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then chapter 1, verse 7, we see there's a, a refining, a proving of our faith resulting in praise and glory that will be revealed at the return of Christ. Verse 8, we see that we have this joy, joy, really joy upon joy that's found in our faith in Christ. And verses 10 through 12, we see Peter talk about the prophets who sought to know the person and the time and suffering and the glorification of Jesus Christ and record those on our behalf. And then verse 18, we see that redemption that has, that we've been rescued by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And verse 21, we see through Christ that we are, we are uh, believers in God, so our faith, faith and our hope are, are in God through Christ. Verse 23 through 25, we are born again through the word, and that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2, where to, we are to long for the pure word, if we have tasted and seen that our Lord, that Christ is good. Verses 4 through 8, we see Christ talked about as that cornerstone, that living cornerstone. He's the foundation of the church and really the foundation of our faith and our life in Him. See this center on Christ. And then verses 9 through 12 in chapter 2, we see that we are the, this, in Christ, we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and we're, we're called out of darkness to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And it's shown forth in our lives that we see, as we see today. Verses 13 through 20, we see a, a submission that we talked about. A submission to authorities as to Christ, for the sake of Christ. Living holy lives, even sometimes suffering when doing good, that we might point others to Christ. And we live by His grace. And here, verses 1 through 7, we see our relationship with Christ informs also our relationship with husband and wife. And in that, it can declare even the gospel. So our life is to be a reflection of Christ, um, our Savior, and point others, as we talked about last week and will here, to others to Christ, that they might be saved and give glory to God. And then chapter 3, we see this relationship of living and following Christ and pointing others to Christ and even difficult relationships. 
even ones that um, are, are challenging. We saw last week even a submitting to in a relationship where there's even unjust treatment. So we see these three relationships, though, in starting in chapter 2 and going into chapter 3 this week. And just to remind us, starting in verse 13 of chapter 2, there's that relationship of citizen and government. And this call, therefore, prepare... Oops, that's not the right verse. <laughs> it was another 13. Um, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. If we remember, there was that call... And it's as to Christ, and we're reminded that he is the one that we ultimately submit to, to Christ. And then last week we saw that relationship of slave to master. And remember that Peter, he wasn't, he wasn't condoning and he wasn't approving of, this, of the institution of slavery. But the reality is writing to a church that this is the reality of many in the church. And he's calling them, how do you live your life in the midst of suffering, even suffering for doing good and suffer in such a way that it actually reflects Jesus Christ and what he has done in and is doing in them and through them that they might be the example of the gospel. And here we have another difficult relationship of a, of a, a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. So there must have been a circumstance in the churches where many of the women had come to faith and yet the husbands had yet, yet not done that. And they're called to live a life that points their husbands to Christ. And as we look at this, I think there's application in all sorts of different relationships and in the relationship of husband and wife, even believing husbands and wife. And in this, Peter's concerned about how our lives point to Jesus. How are they pointing to Jesus? How are they reflecting that hope, that settled hope that we have in Christ Jesus? And we see that in the context. We talked about it last week, but let's look at it again because I think it's important just to see See what's going on and what Peter's speaking of. Again, this is in chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter says, and, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to his own possession, to God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So we're this call that to be those who are reflecting all that God has done in us. And then verse 12 of chapter 2. It says, keep your, your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. So there's a sense of both in your word and in your deed, as they, at first, they may malign you, but then they see your life and hear your words, and there's a, a declaration because they, they come to know even God, that in the end they can glorify God. Verse 15 of chapter 2, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then we'll see after this passage in chapter 3, verse 15 through 16, he says, but in your heart, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So there's this context of our life rooted in the hope in Christ is that, that reflects him that's going to impact those around us. And that is the same in this passage in chapter 3 of that, of again, a believing wife and, and a husband who is yet to rest and trust in Christ. So we'll see in this the impact of Christ 
on and through a believing wife. As we read verses 1 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So it begins with this call to, to be subject or submit to their husband. And this submission is not based on the husband himself, because you know the husband is this unbelieving um, husband. But this subjection is rooted in Christ. And it goes back to that verse, chapter 2, verse 13, where he calls them to be subject to government authorities as to Christ, for the sake of Christ. So who is our ultimate who is the one we're ultimately accountable to? Who is the one that we ultimately submit to? It's to Christ. And our actions and our obedience, may they glorify God and point others to Christ. And that in the end, in this situation, that the husband might rest in Christ and that he too might be a follower of Christ. But here what's going on in this, even in this marriage, would have been very countercultural for that time. For a this Christian woman, to, to take on a faith in a God that was not the God of the household, the God of the husband. So she was really stepping out of what would have been the cultural norm during that time. This is a, a quote from a first century historian, Plutarch, Greek historian, that said, a wife, a wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. So she was way stepping out of that. She was going at placing her faith in Christ. And she's called at the same time to live in a subjection or, or a submission to the leadership of the husband. Now, as we talk about this, we should say, well, what is submission, what is submission and what isn't submission um, as we look at here? Because I think this passage probably has been used instead of to protect women, to, to harm them. So we need to understand, what does it mean here? Well, submission, it doesn't mean that wives always agree with their husbands about everything. Because um, we see even in the context here that the wife is trusted in Christ and the husband does not. And is probably not very happy about her faith in Christ. I know when we we were first married, um, I thought that uh, Kelly should agree with me on everything, and if she didn't, she should figure out how to. And I thought that's what submission meant. I didn't know. I was very confused. I think at first, and I remember um, one one of our first arguments. I think it was even before we got married, we were. Um, we had we had we're picking out an apartment, and we were, we found an apartment with two rooms, and we were trying to figure out when we moved in how we were going to set up this apartment, and with the extra room, we were going to set it up as a study, and I thought to myself, I think we also should. I had a twin bed. We married when I was 29, so I've had this this twin bed for a while, and um, I was like, we should move that into that spare room, and she's like, no. We don't, no, we don't need that. We can just, and like, what about gas? Well, we'll just have a, an air mattress. We'll just blow up. And so, the, and, I, and she would not agree with me on this. And I, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know. But 
Um, then I realized that, uh, well, in the end, well, the twin bed I gave to someone else, and, and we, we didn't do that. <laughs> I learned that it's probably best just to listen on a lot of things. Um, um, and I think that's, that's but there, there sometimes can be this misunderstanding that's just, that there's this role that it means, oh, she's just always going to agree with me. No, well, no, not the case. Um, and nor should it be. No. And it doesn't mean that they stop following Christ if the husband tells them so. We see that in context here. It doesn't mean that they put the will of their husband above the will of God either. Um, they're to follow after the Lord first. It doesn't mean that they're fearful of their husbands, but instead their trust and their hope, as we see in this passage, their hope is in God. And then later in verse 6, we'll see that they don't fear anything. Their fear is in reverences of God. So it's not a position of weakness either. It's not a, a, a call to check one's brain or will or um, decision reasoning capabilities at the door or at the altar, right? Um, but even, even in this case of this scenario, there's a, the woman has clearly followed after Christ, even though her husband has not led her to that. Um, it doesn't mean unquestioningly following without speaking the wisdom that God has given you. And it's... And it says, husbands, we need to be those who listen all the time to the wisdom of our wives um, and the wisdom and discernment that God has given them. And we always have an open ear so that we can walk together. It's that beautiful picture of the dance. Um, and I personally would be a fool not to listen and to seek the wisdom of my wife. <laughs> um, I need her wisdom. It also doesn't mean that if a husband is unfaithful to her that there isn't a biblical recourse in that. It doesn't mean that a wife is to endure physical or emotional or verbal abuse without seeking help. It doesn't mean that a husband um, is the wife's source of strength and faith either. Jesus is the wife's source of strength and faith and hope. Enabling her to walk without fear even in, as trials come. So it doesn't mean that the wife is weak or fearful or passive. Um, but it is that picture of those dancers dancing, um, a leading and a following and a partnership and a unity. So instead, she's called um, to honor God's role in marriage, to allow the husband to lead as far as he's not walking in sin and calling the family to walk in sin. She is to live as a follower of Christ, whose hope is in Jesus, whose life has been radically changed by Jesus, whose heart internally has been changed radically, and her hope and her strength is in Christ, that she might be a witness of the gospel to to those around her, including her husband. So uh, you might say her strength and hope and faith are not in her husband but in God, but then that allows her to freely and lovingly seek to follow the leadership of her husband. Pastor John Piper says it this way, Submission is the divine calling of a wife to joyfully and fearlessly honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. And we see how this plays out, or the goal, as Peter writes to these women, that they may be won, these unbelieving husbands may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And in this, I don't think Peter is saying that they don't say anything about the gospel. They don't speak anything about the gospel. I don't think that's what he's saying. Because they need to hear the gospel 
to be able to, to believe and put their faith in Christ, but it seems like he is saying that they, they do not excessively and naggingly share, but they use their lives to demonstrate and to declare the gospel um, to their husbands as they have already shared the gospel with them. And now one thing, too, we can look at this and we can see that Peter, he also, he doesn't promise that the husband will believe. And, but they can rest that as they, as they faithfully follow these things, that they can trust that the Lord is good and he will honor their, their lives and their desire to follow after him. And then what is this um, life, what it should look like? What should her conduct look like according to the words of Peter here? Verse 2, he says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Or maybe it says in your translation, through your reverent life and pure conduct, through your holy living, through your following after the ways of God and the word of God and living in reverent fear, not in reverent fear to the husband, but in reverent fear to God. And we see that as all of these verses build on each other. Back in verse 17 of chapter 3, he said, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear fear God. Honor the emperor. And this is the same word that he uses down here. So we're called to rest and have reverent fear of God and living holy lives before them. And then in verses 3 through 4, we see it's a matter of the heart. Do not let your adornment The external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So they're not to to be about just the adornment of the external. It's not about kind of an idea of if I'm beautiful enough, my my husband will listen to me. And will follow me. Or I will gain the attraction of men by my beauty. That they will see me and, and follow. And find a, I can find approval with my husband. So it's not, if I am beautiful, they will listen. That's, he's warning against this type of thing. And clearly in their culture, and even in all, our culture, there's a strong emphasis um, on women to, to have the, an outward beauty. And now we step into a day and a time where we have not just a, uh, your in-person image, but you have that, that online image as well, where we even have acronyms like um, IRL, right? In real life, if you ever see that, in real life. like We have this, this online facade and then in real life thing, and the online one with all the selfies, and you can have all these different um, apps to make you look a lot more um, attractive than maybe you are, but there's this emphasis of, of outward beauty that continues, and with new technology, we find new ways of emphasizing that, and probably putting weights of pressure upon women in our society that just shouldn't be, but he's not calling them to, to outward beauty, to inward beauty, but also, he's not saying... Um, don't ever braid your hair. Don't ever wear jewelry, especially gold jewelry. Because if that is what he's saying, we have a problem. Um, and as we kind of read this, if you read this with me again, he says, Do not let your adornment be, adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of jewelry. So if he was saying, don't braid your hair, don't put on jewelry, or the clothing you wear. So you don't wear clothing? What's he saying? You know, um, so he's not saying you don't wear clothing. He's not saying you don't wear any, uh, don't ever fix your hair or um, wear gold jewelry. Um, 
But he's calling them that that is not the most important thing. That is not the most important thing. He's not saying that women have to, to wear sweatpants and not brush their hair. Um, so that's not, although the other day I was in Fort Collins standing in line and there was a college student who, she was dressed really nice, but it looked like she hadn't brushed her hair in two weeks. So I don't know, that must be a thing. I don't know. I don't know. I was very confused. So, but um, he's not calling them um, to just look homely, but it's a call that the emphasis is not on the external and even to win the approval of her husband, but it is of the heart, adornment of the heart. So we see that in, in verse 4, a call for that. And he speaks of it, of the adornment and the beauty of a heart of his, as an imperishable beauty. So it's a beauty that doesn't rot, it doesn't decay, it doesn't get ripped, it doesn't get smudged or tarnished like clothes or makeup or jewelry can, but it's a, a beauty that will, will last. And he speaks of them to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I don't think Peter is here saying, talk less and be without opinion. That's not what he's saying. Don't, don't, he's not saying put aside desire. And Peter's also, I don't think he's saying, he's not saying... Um, if you're outgoing, if you have a personality that's outgoing and talkative and, and the extroverted, then the Lord has gifted you to lead to, to not do that, to change your personality to one of being an introvert and being more quiet and uh, not leading when God calls you to lead. But this gentle and quiet spirit, it's a call to humility and to trust in God. It's not a term really of weakness. Sometimes we think of that as a, a weak term, but that's not what's going on here because our thoughts really should go to Jesus. Peter's been speaking about the example of Jesus Christ, that, he's, that he is, Jesus has given us. And you think of Jesus, as even the, the verse that Nathan read, that Jesus, how does he describe his heart as gentle and lowly? And to think of one who is not, is very strong and not weak, is Christ. And last week in our study in chapter 2, where there was a call to look to the example of Christ when we suffer unjustly for doing good. And he said, verse 22, of Christ, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So really, this call I believe a gentleness and quiet spirit is to put on Christ, to abide in Christ, as we've been talking about this year. Abide in Christ and in his love, to look to Jesus, taking on the attitude of Christ that we see that Paul gives to all Christians in Philippians chapter 2, to take on the attitude of Christ who, who emptied himself by becoming a servant, obedient even to death on the cross. And this call to a tra- tranquil and quiet spirit is one who has peace with God, even in the midst of trials and difficulty. And we see later in, in verse 5 that they, there's such a peace that they do not need to fear anything or be frightened of anything. So there's a strength in the midst of this. And then Peter, he gives an example of, of women of old, of those of the Old Testament, and specifically of Sarah. And says in verses 5 and following, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So we have this illustration of these 
holy, faithful women of old, of the Old Testament, who placed their faith, their hope in God, and their relationship with God impacted their lives and all their relationship, as we see here, even their submission to, to, to those in leadership. And we see that here. But we see that their hope and their faith rested in God. Uh, not in their husbands, yet they followed them. And here Sarah obeyed and called Abraham Lord. And this isn't a term that she called him Lord as a master to a slave or a child to a, a parent. But it, during that time was a, ti- a title and a, a term of just of respect for him. Of care and respect, of love and respect that she gave him. And spoke respectfully. We should speak, maybe it's a call of, resp- of calling and speaking respectfully of wives to husbands. And Sarah, she obeyed um, Abraham when the Lord called Abraham out of their homeland to go to an unknown land and that God would show them, and she followed him, and she trusted him. Even at times, there's times where Abraham wasn't all that faithful and even foolish, and I don't think there's a call to follow when, when a husband's being foolish, but she, she was one who trusted in God. And she even pressed on in the promises of God, even when there were times of wrestling and doubt, and yet she pressed forward. So there's a call of lovingly following um, the leadership of the husband. Again, that dance, I think. Um, that beauty of it that's found there. So in this, or again, Peter's addressing a, a context where apparently a lot of wives had believed in Christ. And the husbands had not. And he's calling them through their lives, their faithfulness, to point them to Christ. Pastor David Helm, he, he says this. I think it's a good summary of this. He says, the force of, of this chapter shouldn't be lost on us. Some men entered heaven giving glory to God, and the day of Christ's final visitation will owe their very salvation to the, to the honorable conduct and good deeds of a wife who determined to live out her days in real costly and faithful submission. Such earthly, worldly husbands were saved through the example of women who powerfully, mysteriously, and without fear learned to entrust themselves to God's promising, promised care. So I think it's a strong um, just example that we see in the lives of these women. And then Peter, although it's just one verse, I don't think it means that there's emphasis on it, but a call of the husband. How is the husband to live? How does Christ impact the life of a a believing husband. Verse 7. says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the, women, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers must not be hindered. So it begins, and it says, Likewise. So this is a calling likewise of these two other relationships of submission of both that of a citizen to government and a slave to master in here and wife to husband, but he says, likewise, husband. So you look at that, well, and what likewise, and how is he submitting? Where is he submitting? Well, first we know that the submission throughout this is as to Christ. It's the submission that we live for the sake of Christ, that we live in a life that reflects and points to Christ as well. But I think here it's not, there's not a submission to the leadership of the husband, but a submission, a submission to all the needs of the wife. We should submit to the needs that she has. That we can love her and serve her and care for her. So likewise, husbands, 
Live with your wives in an understanding way. Live in a, and maybe um, your version says, according to knowledge, according to understanding, according to knowledge. And I see this as a, a pretty broad category of understanding and knowledge. There's knowledge of God and His will, knowledge of God's Word that informs the way that we live our lives. A knowledge and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A knowledge, also an understanding of our wife. Um, we need to learn as husbands, we need to know their gifts and their desires, their strengths, their weaknesses, their likeness, their dislikes, their breaking points, their strengths, and what encourages them. We should know, we should have a full understanding, knowledge of them. Even the little things. Like if I'm sitting next to Kelly on the couch and she leans forward, it means I need to scratch her back. And you think after 15 years, I would just know I should just push her forward so I can scratch her back, but I'm still slow. And maybe by year 30, maybe, <laughs> she won't have to lean forward and remind me that she would like that. And also an understanding of our relationship with Christ that informs all of our relationships. I was reminded this week of, of a scene in the movie The Incredibles. I don't know if you've watched that. It's one of the Disney cart- Pixar cartoons and um, our movies. And the, There's three of them now, but in the first one, there's this scene with all of the family together. And uh, if you don't know, it's a, it's a family of superheroes. And the dad is Mr. Incredible. His name is Bob. And... Um, then the wife is Helen, and she's elastic girl, so she's like all stretchy. I don't know how best to describe it. And then you have Violet, their, their daughter, and Dash, and um, Jack-Jack. And their kids also all have superpowers. And there's a scene where Bob, he comes home from work. He's, a, I think, an insurance um, adjuster. And he comes home from work, and he's just totally done with, with work and life. And he goes into the study, and he, he reads his newspaper and the mom is Helen. She's getting everything ready for dinner, and the kids are sitting at the table, and she's trying to engage them in conversation. And then the kids start fighting, and she calls to Bob in the study and, and, says, and says, Bob, I could use your help here. And he just calls back, kids, listen to your mom. Listen to your mother. And then uh, things escalate, and the kids start using their superpowers and fight. And it just goes crazy. And Helen, if you remember, she grabs both of the kids. And they keep, like, running around. And her arms stretch all over the kitchen. And it's just this big mess. And, and Jack-Jack is just laughing and thinks it's funny. And um, she hauls out to Bob. She says, Bob, it's time to engage. <laughs> and uh, so there's this call, us husbands, to engage and to know our wives and love them. And it, also, as we talked about here before, that we, we called it to die to self. Um, before we enter that door, husbands, if we live outside, of, or if we work outside of the home, and we come home, and to just lay down ourselves and go in and serve our wife and our kids, and our knowledge and our understanding of our Lord and of our family as well. I think a picture of that is there's. Uh, I was thinking also of when we were just married. There was another couple that married soon after us at the same church, and during their wedding ceremony, they washed one another's feet. And logistically, it was kind of a nightmare to get it done, but they did it. And, but it was this beautiful picture of him serving his wife and washing her feet and leading her in that and caring for her. And then um, Peter says something controversial. I don't know if he knew that, but um, 
He says, show honor to the women as the weaker vessel. Um, and as we, we, can, we need to wrestle through that. Now, what is he saying? What is he not saying first? And I think there's no, as you look at Scripture, there's nothing in Scripture and there's nothing even in our life experience that would say that a, a woman is weaker in intellect. That's just not the case. And some of us husbands know that very well as our, our wives can, can best us in intellect. So, um, and there's also there's nothing in Scripture that would point to or even in our life that would say that they're, they're weaker in spiritual faith or in walk. Um, and there, there are win, women um, have such wisdom. And I know I would be a fool if I would, didn't seek the wisdom of my wife. And often I need to learn, lean on her as she speaks str- truth to me when I need to hear it. Um, so she's a provision of God's strength to me in my walk with him. So that's not what's going on here. No. I think most um, the, of those uh, commentators and scholars would say that Peter's probably speaking about um, the physicalness or the, the strength of a woman, physical strength of a woman. And as a general rule, again, as a general rule, men to, tend to be stronger physically than women. And again, there's qualifications here too, because as I know uh, that I have never and I most likely will never run a half marathon. Um, but Kelly has, and I have no doubt that she could again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I think she could, and, but I'm not going to do it. Um, and I also know that Kelly, she keeps up a pace at home between, uh, between home and work and doing two couple side jobs and everything. That She has great stamina, and she impresses me all the time. But at the same time, as we uh, work out daily, I, I use heavier weights. I'm not talking heavy weights, because this is pretty p- pathetic, our workouts, but just a little heavier <laughs> weights. And when a jar can't be opened at home, I open that jar, and I'm the one to do that, so I can um, champion that. But, um, <laughs> and really, in our culture, up until now, we've separated men and women's sports, biological men and biological men, women have separate um, sports and the Olympics and everything, and now it's a, a controversial thing where, where there are, will be, are beginning to be biological men competing in women's sports, um, and some have said that is a death to, to women's sports because there's, a, there's just a difference there, the way that, the, that God has created our bodies. And I think here, as we look at this, as, and this true general rule that a husband physically is stronger than the woman, he's calling her, him not to be overpowering of her. He's not to use his physical strength to, to be dominant or to threaten or to intimidate the wife or to take advantage of them, but instead to protect and be gentle and to serve, lovingly serve and provide and to care and use the strength to bless his wife honor to her and to care for her and to when we rest of course um, in Christ and all of that so also a key and important thing that we should not miss and it's a, a, a key element to understanding all of this passage that he says since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. They're, we are co-heirs together in the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs. We are equals in the kingdom of God. So here we have this relationship, uh, this call for, 
for the husband to lovingly lead and to care and to use his strength to care for his wife and to know her and to grow just in that dance. And then finally he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that as they follow in obedience, uh, not walking in sin, that their, their sins aren't hindered as they pray. And also maybe that Paul is speaking of not just their individual prayers, but their prayers together with their, their wife. As, so that your prayers, that your is plural. So not just you, but, but together. So it's maybe that Paul is saying that your prayer together will not be hindered, which would make um, clear sense as well when, when these things are broken, uh, our prayer together is broken as well. So we see um, that Christ is to be the center of all of our relationship, including that of husband and wife. And even the different roles that, the, that God has given us are roles of, that are beautiful to protect, to care, to be able to live life together. And, and I believe that the wife here declaring the gospel through her life and her words. Um, but also, um, there's application even in the marriage of a husband and wife who are following after Christ, of how we are to live and to walk, that we might declare through our life the gospel to all those around us, that they might ask of our hope that we have and the life that we have, that we might declare that Jesus Christ indeed was one who came to serve that came and emptied himself, that he died in our place on the cross for our sins and then rose again victorious, that when we turn from our sins and trust in him, that we can have a new life. And even this morning, maybe that is your first step, that you recognize that you have, you're apart from Christ and you need a, a, to have the hope and the forgiveness of Christ and begin to walk in newness, that you might either follow or lead and walk these relationships rightly if you trust in Christ even this morning. Let's pray together. Dear Father God, we thank you for these passages. We know that you haven't let us left us alone and called us to look to your word to find truth that is timeless truth. So Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the beauty of that can be found in marriage. And the declaration of the gospel that can be found there. Lord, we also acknowledge that marriage is not easy. It can be difficult. It can be both joyful and at times sorrowful. And we pray for just amending even um, in marriages where maybe there's an unbelieving husband or unbelieving wife. Or just the struggles through the years, Lord. And we pray for gospel to be poured out, the truth of Jesus Christ poured out in lives and families and marriages, in our church and in our communities. And Lord, help us to be gospel lights as we live with those in our family, as we love and we care. And help us to know even how to, to just take application from this, of how to care and love for, for others that we know, that we might be able to love and and point them to Jesus Christ through our words and our actions. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we will we'll take of the Lord's Supper together.